Well, our, our theme this year was overflow, and then we had pandemic, <laughs> which made doing a lot of the themes throughout the year <clears throat> far more difficult. And so on and off throughout the year, we've still tried to maintain uh, some of those. And uh, this week and next week, we're, we're going to be able to go back to uh, this overflow theme because uh, originally as I had planned for this year there was no intention to do First uh, Timothy whatsoever uh, and had all these other plans and of course we've got to talk about in Bible class this morning how that goes and plans go out the window uh, about all kinds of things and so I've been saving uh, these lessons because I was going to come here anyway for overflow and go well we're in First Timothy so we can now combine these concepts together and these Last two weeks as we round out our our Faith Foundation series, these texts are also uh, uh, important concepts about overflow. Now we've talked about in our theme through this year that we see Jesus telling us that those who would belong to him, those who would believe in him out of their hearts would flow rivers of living waters. And so we've asked the question uh, each of the months when we could. So what flows out of us? And one of the things that we see the scriptures talking about that should be flowing out of us that people see in us is contentment. Contentment is supposed to be something that flows out of our hearts. And we're going to look then this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And you'll notice that our our text today is verses 3 through 10, as was just read for us. In the first few verses, he starts talking about essentially where contentment is not going to be found. And he describes a number of problems. In verse 3, here are those who are teaching a different doctrine that do not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. He's puffed up with conceit, understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil uh, suspicions, constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved in the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. And I want you to see that here he starts talking about people who their contentment, their joy, the thing that they really uh, get after is controversy, stirring strife causing problems. And he starts listing all of these different categories and and, and pictures of that, which if you think about as we've gone through the book of 1 Timothy, think about how often the Apostle Paul has talked about these kinds of people who cause trouble, who are going after false teachings, who stir up problems and cause all kinds of issues. And you'll notice that as he comes to the idea of contentment, He starts that problem again and says, there's people and all that they do, their their joy, their pleasure, the thing that they want to do is stir up strife. They are puffed up and they have this unhealthy craving for controversy. I like like that phrasing, this craving for controversy, quarreling over words, causing all kinds of problems. One of the things that I think you have the Apostle Paul showing us is that's not where you're going to find contentment. And you might find this within your heart, or perhaps you know people this way, 
who it seems like they live for trouble. They enjoy stirring the pot. They enjoy causing people to have all kinds of issues and problems and strife, difficulties. And he gives a picture here that people like that, who are stirring up strife, causing controversy, quarreling over words, he says, they're not a part of the faith. I think that's so important to see there. He describes it as teaching a different doctrine in verse 3. Do not agree with the sound words of of our Lord Jesus and teachings that do not accord with godliness. He then describes all of these pictures of essentially who they are. Look at verse 5. Constant friction among people. And sometimes there's almost a, a pleasure that comes. From poking people, getting people upset, causing friction, rubbing people the wrong way. And he wants us to see not only is this sinful, not only is this being false, this is not only then not belonging to what accords to godliness, but notice he's moving to the idea of contentment there at the end of verse 5, imagining that godliness is the means of gain. Essentially this, thinking that you're going to be able to use God to get what you want. It's an interesting ending to all of that. I'm going to use God to get what I want for my own selfish purposes. And if you think about the history of Israel, and you think about how often that's exactly what Israel did. In essence, their godliness, their their efforts toward God was not about God, but what they were going to get. They would use it for selfishness. That's why you see in the prophets, as you have these condemnations about their idolatry and their wealth and their prosperity, you will note that it never says, and they completely threw away God and never worshipped Him again. That's not what happened. They still served God. They still brought the sacrifices. They still did the things that God seemed to say to do. But they did all of this other stuff that they wanted to. Well, why did they keep God when they're involved in idolatry? Why were they still offering sacrifices? Because essentially what they're doing is treating God like another idol of what I'm going to get out of Him. I'm going to keep doing these certain things and somehow that's going to give me ultimately what I need, ultimately what I want. God's going to give me what I want, right? I mean, side point, do we use prayer like that? Just, you know, here's what I want. I don't really care about God, but I'm in trouble, so help me. Or I'm not, life's not going the way that I want, so do something. And so notice he says they imagine that this kind of godliness is a means of gain. This devotion to God is going to do that for them. And God never lets himself be used that way. That's why you see the condemnations against Israel. That's why you have to love the book of Malachi. Here they're coming to worship and coming to worship. And yet while they come to worship in their hearts, they say, oh, what a weariness that we have to do this. And God doesn't say, well, at least you came. I'm so glad that you did. 
God says, shut the doors. I'm not going to be used like that. God is not going to be used for our selfish gain and selfish purposes. And that's what he's reminding them of here is here are these people. And we sometimes want to read, oh, they're in the world. No, these are people who are claiming to be Christians. But they stir up strife. They cause problems. They're all about the friction. Thinking that what they are doing for God and doing all of these kinds of problem things is ultimately going to make them happy. God's going to give them what they want. We have to remember that one of the big questions that God has for every individual, particularly those who are following Him, is the question that Satan asked God about Job from the very beginning of that book. Do you serve God for nothing? Or do you serve God for what you think you're going to get out of Him right here and now? Remember, Satan's challenge was this. Job was blessed. He had a big family. He had all kinds of wealth. He had all kinds of riches. He's doing great. On the, the, the mark of material prosperity and doing physically well, he's an A+. He's greatest in the land of the East. And so Satan's question is this. Do people only serve God for all the temporary, material, physical blessings on this earth? Or do they serve God for who God is? And that's ultimately what this is driving at at the end of verse 5 to say that they are supposing, they are imagining that their godliness is going to be some kind of gain to them. It's what they get out of it. It's going to go well for me. People think highly of me. People, It's going to be good for me. If I do these kinds of things, God's going to bless me, right? He's going to take care of me. Think about how many people walk away from God when life goes bad. Well, if you walk away from God when life goes bad, what you are saying is, I only serve God for the good things He does for me. And if He's not going to give me good things right here and now, I'm out. That's this, thinking that godliness is some kind of gain, thinking that your devotion to God should give you some kind of return in this life. Think about the apostles. What kind of physical return did they get? What did they cash in on while they were alive? You know, they they had it great, right? Wealth, riches, power, prestige, reputation. Everybody loved them, right? But sometimes we come to God like that, as if God has to give me these kinds of things and is going to help me in my life right now and do what I want and make my life comfortable and make me rich. Here's the Apostle Paul saying, that's not what accords with sound doctrine. That's not what it means to serve God. And so I think it's an important question that we would never forget. Do we serve God for nothing? And as an aside, there's only one way to know. It's only one way to know. It's only one way Job found out. He lost almost everything. And we are put through trials and difficulties and suffering to see, do we still serve God because of who He is? 
Or do we only serve God because he makes my life pleasant right now? He makes things go the way I want them to go. And so he says there are those who imagine godliness, devotion to God, serving him, is a means of gain in this life. He says, instead, verse 6, there is great gain in godliness with contentment. Here is where contentment Excuse me, where contentment ultimately is. Contentment is devotion to God, truly devoted to Him, not for what I get out of Him, but devoted to Him while being content. And he gives now two pictures, two perspectives of what contentment looks like. And I will submit to you as we look at these, these are two mind-blowing perspectives. It's mind-blowing because we are generally prosperous in our country and we enjoy great blessings and we have so much stuff. And to hear the Apostle Paul describe what contentment ultimately looks like is very challenging. Look at verse 7, the first picture. It's a relative perspective. He says in verse 7, We brought nothing into the world And we cannot take anything out of it. Contentment perspective number one. If we are going to overflow with contentment. If we are going to be these content Christians. Mixing our devotion to God with contentment. So that we have great gain. He says first perspective I want you to have. When you were born how much did you start with? And perhaps the harder part, and when you leave, how much are you going to take with you? Zero and zero. We start with nothing and we end with nothing. In fact, you might remember that was Job's answer when his trial hit. Naked I came into this world, naked I go, blessed be the name of the Lord. And here, the Apostle Paul uses that idea here and says, here is what contentment looks like. Contentment is the realization that you have a lot because you started with nothing. And you're not going to keep any of it. Not a bit of it. There's not one single thing that you have that you're going to use after you're dead. You start with nothing and you end with nothing, which means then there is an appreciation for what we have right now. There is this relative perspective. Look at how far you've come. Look at how much has changed in your life. Things that are easy to forget. When when April and I first got married, poor college kids. Back then, you could go to Olive Garden for there had a three ninety nine three dollars ninety nine cents soup and salad. We ordered one, and she ate the soup, and I ate the salad. That's how poor we were. <laughs> that was a big deal. We 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 went out to dinner for four dollars and twenty three cents. How far have you come? How much has God blessed you? You started with zero. Look at where you are right now. Look at how much you have. 
Look at what God has given you to enjoy. You see, the first picture of contentment is this relative one. Look at the movement of your life and what you have right now. Be amazed by how much God has blessed you. And realize in the process there's an important reality. Since we start with nothing and we end with nothing, that means a good life has nothing to do with material possessions. Nothing. In fact, you might remember when you had less, you might have been happier. You had less responsibility and less concerns and there was less. It was just simpler back then. It's funny to kind of watch that in our society right now where there's kind of almost this movement back to a simpler time where we have less. Let's minimize. There's a lot of truth to that. Stuff does not make you happy. Usually it makes things worse. And it is an important reminder to us is that ultimately contentment is about seeing what you and I have right now. And not what you don't have. In fact, here is the best way to live a discontent life. Always look at what you don't have. You know, that's what commercials are all about, right? I want you to see everything you don't have. (laughs) I know you have this, but we have now made it newer. It's improved. It's bigger. It's better. It has more bells and whistles. And all those things do is to make you discontent. With the implication, you want to know what's going to make you content? Buy this. (laughs) If you just had that, you would be so much happier. Your life would be so much better. Now, we all know we can prove that wrong because how many times have we done that and it didn't do it? Probably innumerable how many times. we've Okay, that's going to be the answer, and it wasn't. That's going to make it better, and it wasn't. I mean, wasn't technology supposed to give us more time and save us? Who no. Now we all wish you couldn't get a hold of us 24-7. Give me back the old phone where if I was gone from the house, it's too bad. You can't get me. That's unfortunately what happens, though, is we think this is going to make it better. This is going to make it better. This is going to be the improvement. Contentment is seeing what we have. Stop overlooking what we have. Look at everything that we have. Look at how far we've come. Look at how much God has blessed us and appreciate all of those things. Contentment begins there. There is a second perspective, and it's a harder perspective. Verse 8. For if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. (laughs) That might be one of the hardest sentences in the Bible. See if you feel that way when you read that. With food and clothing, we're content. Uh, well, with let me with a uh, car and uh, I got out a phone and uh, <laughs> right. these are necessities, right? <laughs> I want you to see the definition of contentment in the eyes of God are basically the necessities, the essential. You have a covering and you have food, you're good. You're set. Everything else is a want, not a need. That's God's absolute definition for contentment. We will be content 
If we have something to eat today and some kind of covering today, we're good. All set. Everything else is a blessing. Everything else is an extra. Everything else is a luxury. Everything else is a want. And I think it's important to see that we can have contentment when we make this our definition, when we define that ultimately what we really need is something to eat and some kind of covering, then you really realize how much we have. You really begin to see, well, not only do I have clothing, I have lots of clothing. And not only do I have food, I have lots of food. And not only do I have that, I've got a place to stay and I've got a car and I've got all kinds of things like this. We have all kinds of blessings that have been given to us by God and to see them that way because there are extras with food, with covering, with clothing. We will be content. This is the picture that that is given to us, this, this contentment imagery, which tells us something I think very powerful and very important that is for our consideration. Discontentment then is not a wealth issue. It's a heart issue. When you get down to it, what we have to realize is the distinction between being content or being discontent has nothing to do with how much you have. It has everything to do with your heart. It's how you look at things. It's how you look at what you have. It's how you look at how God has blessed you. In fact, I think this is an important statement that is made by the writer of Ecclesiastes where he says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied by their income. Now, you'll read that and you'll be like me and we'll say, well, that's not true of me. If I had all of then I would be content. And notice that Paul says the same thing that the writer of Ecclesiastes says. No. If you think you need more, you will never be content. This is a huge, huge truth. If we are not presently satisfied by what we have we will not be satisfied by what we want. More is not going to make you happy. If you can't be satisfied now with what you have, you will not be satisfied with what you want. And we can all prove that one too, right? (laughs) This is the... Last thing I'll ever need. Okay. This is going to make all the difference. Okay. It's an important picture. If we think that what we need for satisfaction, joy, happiness, contentment is just this one step away, it's always going to stay one step away. You're never going to get there. But to be content now, 
to be enjoying what you have now. That is great wealth. That is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. Great wealth is found in having joy and being pleased and satisfied in what you have right now while you walk with God. Is that another way to say verse 6? I think it is. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Satisfied with what you have now while you walk with God is great wealth. That's what you want. That's what will satisfy. That's the goal right there. Don't need more. Just give me God. God's blessed me. I've got food and clothing and a long list past that. I'm content. We'll talk a little bit about this in a minute, but don't only think about contentment in terms of stuff, possessions, wealth. Think about contentment in terms of people too. Think about it in terms of people. Be content with the people in your life. Sometimes we get really frustrated with, oh, if I just had better parents, children, spouse, friends, relatives, same discontentment. Be glad you have them. Be grateful that God has given you whatever those relationships are, whoever those people are. And yes, they have all kinds of flaws, but so do you. They've got all kinds of problems. So do you. They've got, oh man, they're really quirky. So are you. they got all these kinds of issues. So do you. They're putting up with the same things out of you that you're putting up out of them. Contentment also resides with people as well as possessions. To be happy in the circumstance you are in. To be grateful for how God has put you in this position, in this circumstance, in this moment. This is great gain. This is where contentment is. In the final two verses of the paragraph, what he does now is he's going to tell us why it is so important to be content. Here are the problems that arise when we are discontent. If we choose to continue to think it's somewhere out there, happiness is just around the corner, more stuff, more things, then here's what's going to happen. Notice verse 9. For those who desire to be rich fall into temptations, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I just love would do a whole side point here, but just just think about this for a moment and think about it later on today. Can you imagine picking up anything that had this label on it? If you do this, you're going to fall into temptation, a trap senseless and harmful desires plunging you into ruin and destruction. Who wants that? Anybody want ruin and destruction? Traps, pain, harmful desires, senseless problems. Who's signing up? Who's in? I'll get the piece of paper out. Let's go. Nobody wants this. Who would want that? Notice what he's saying in verse 9. The desire for more is very dangerous. It is extremely dangerous to desire more. That's what leads to all kinds of problems. 
Those who desire to be rich just want more. Just give me more. It's just one more thing. I need something better. I'm not content right now with things. I'm discontent. I need something else. He says, that desire is destructive. Leads to all kinds of problems in this life. Temptation, traps, snares, harmful desires, senseless desires that ultimately plunge people into ruin and destruction. It is a warning that more leads to disaster. More, 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 and wanting more, more, more just leads to ruin. You're going to wreck your life. In fact, I would suppose we could probably think about that for a minute and consider how that's truly an important spiritual truth. Notice he didn't say there in verse 9, for those who desire to be rich might have some troubles. There might be some bumps along the way. You will have temptations. You will have traps. You will have problems. You will be plunged into these problems. The desire for more is dangerous. This is his first warning. Shouldn't we want to run away from discontentment when he says this is what's going to happen? This is how your life is going to go. It's going to put you in misery. You keep reaching for more and more. It's going to make you miserable. By the way, don't raise your hand, but just think about how many times have temptations and trials and snares and problems and ruin and difficulties come because we wanted more and we just weren't happy with where we were at. Probably come up with a reasonable list on that. We were fine, but we weren't content. And we caused ourselves more trouble rather than just being pleased with where we were. Verse 10, explanation for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains, with many sorrows, with many griefs. You know, don't you just see Loving money, he says, is a root of all kinds of evil. It's important to see. It doesn't say having money is the problem. He makes it worse than that. It's easy to say, I'll see money is the root of all. That's not what that said. It says you wanting it is a root for all kinds of evil. It is the desire for it. You can be as poor as you could possibly be and fall into this category. Everybody's included here. It's not money. Money is just an, an, an object. It's your heart's desire for it. The wanting of more. That's what plunges us into trouble. What we need to see is discontentment ultimately becomes the ground for all kinds of future sins. All kinds of future problems. All kinds of, of issues. Reaching for more simply causes more pain. And if there's one thing we could hear from what the Apostle Paul is telling us. Reaching for more never gives you what you want. Reaching for more never gives you what you want. 
It doesn't give you that satisfaction or that contentment that you think it's going to give you. Reaching for more never gets you there. You have the momentary aha. This is it. And then give it a day, a week, a month, a year. And you're right back where you were again. Reaching for more never gives you what you want. It never pays off in the end. What the Apostle Paul says, the payoff is you're exposing yourself to traps. You're exposing yourself to to temptations. You're exposing yourself to senseless pains, ruin, and destruction. So let's bring this all together. Three points that I want to make from this in talking about how we can overflow with contentment. How we can be the people of God that He wants us to be. First is, I think, this critical point that Paul was underscoring throughout this paragraph is that great gain in life does not come from possessions. It doesn't come from wealth. It doesn't come from accumulation. It doesn't come from having more. If you want great gain, the place to look for it is in a devotion to God. Rather than wanting more stuff, we should be wanting more of Christ. That's where contentment will be. He doesn't ever let you down. You draw closer to God. You spend your time with Christ. You will never look at that and go, well, that was unsatisfying. And if you do, you didn't do it right. (laughs) It's always satisfying. It finally gives rest and peace and comfort and contentment. Reaching for more doesn't do it. Reaching for more just makes you more discontent. It just grows in that angst. More of panic and anxiety. Doesn't give you what you're looking for. In short, to say this first point like this, Stop looking for joy outside of God. If you think that you're going to find satisfaction, joy, contentment, everything you're looking for in this life outside of God, you will not find it. I firmly believe the writer of Ecclesiastes is telling us that this void, this feeling of empty has been put into every human by God so that we would seek after Him. And the reason why everything we try to put into that void, I don't care what it is, stuff, job, relationships, marriage, kids, throw everything you can in, will never satisfy so that God will say, see, I'm always trying to get you to look to Me. Nothing can fill it. And as we go in this pursuit of life, trying to throw all of those things in the void, and it never gives us the satisfaction, it never provides the contentment. Here is God waving His hand saying, I made it like that so that you would seek Me. If you know the book of Ecclesiastes, it's what, uh, what it's all about. The teacher says, I tried this, 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 this. It was all vanity. It was like chasing the wind. It didn't pay off. It didn't matter. It was useless. But God, God fills the void. That's why he makes that conclusion. It is God that will give the satisfaction. Bigger, better, newer. 
Eventually, bigger, better, newer gets replaced by bigger, better, newer. And now you're not so happy with your bigger, better, newer because now it's smaller, older, (laughs) and broken. So number one, great gain does not come from more stuff. Great gain comes from enjoying what you have that God has given you right now and walking with God in that. Number two, Paul wants us to think about the result of our discontentment. Think about the result of discontentment. It brings problems, temptations, and disaster. We're supposed to be looking at all that God has given us to bring our eyes inward and see what God has done. And as I mentioned before, I think we should not only consider contentment and discontentment in terms of stuff and things and wealth, but think about it in terms of people. I submit to you one of the great reasons why there are affairs and sexual morality and all that is discontentment. It's always going to be better out there. It's somebody else. They'll make it better. It's the same thing. There needs to be within our hearts a realization that we will not be content by constantly reaching and grabbing more, but to be content in the situation that we have. How many times our lives can be just dragged through ruin and wreckage because we just want more and more and more and more and somebody else will make it better and it would just be better if I had this job or if this changed or if I moved there or if I did that. That would just make all the difference. That's why I've made this point a few times. It never makes the difference because you can't run away from you. You and I have the heart issue. That's why it doesn't change. You can keep changing all the externals, but you're still you and I'm still me. Discontentment is a heart issue. It's not a stuff issue. It's not a person issue. It's a me issue and it's a you issue. Which leads me then to the final question. Are you rich? I think we usually ask that question. Rich is defined by anybody who has more than me, right? Isn't that how we define it? (laughs) Whoever is rich is somebody who has more than me. (laughs) I'm not rich. Of course, I'm not rich. But they're rich. (laughs) They have a ton of stuff. Uh, We always want to make being rich a moving target in terms of those who have far more than what we have. And I want us to change our definitions. Do not think of rich in terms of, well, I can't be rich because somebody has more than me. But the definition that Paul gave in this text, being rich is being happy with what you have and pursuing God with all of your might. Now you're rich. If you do that, you're rich. You have all you need today. And you have all you need for eternity. God has given you what you need to get through in this life today. And He's going to be with you all the way until you go home with Him. 
overflowing with contentment comes from this perspective. Joy and satisfaction is not from stuff. The more I reach for things, the more disaster I bring. And really, if I would stop and take a look, I'm far richer than I realize. Because I have God. And what are you going to do to me if I have God? That's why you have to love the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul talked about being rich all the time. Think about all the stuff that happened to the poor Apostle Paul. He gets thrown in prison. What's he doing? He's singing. He gets shipwrecked. He's praying. He's teaching. He's in prison. What's he doing? Telling everybody about Jesus. How can you be so happy, Paul? Because it's not about stuff. It's about walking with God. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray for hearts that are content. Lord, that you would open our eyes to see that we really do have so much, so, so much. You have given us amazing wealth. We do not have to worry about what we are going to eat soon because you have richly provided for us. We don't have to worry about clothing because you've richly provided for us. You care for us so deeply and have blessed us so richly. Lord, we pray that you would make it so that our eyes would be focused on you and not on stuff. That we would see you as the giver of these gifts and stop reaching for more. God, give us hearts to reach for you. God, forgive us for how often we've been discontent with all the blessings you've given us, discontent in our relationships, discontent in our circumstances. Forgive us for not being satisfied with where you have put us at this moment. Lord, we pray that as we go forward, that we would overflow with content, joyful, satisfied hearts. Help us to appreciate every good and perfect gift that you have given us. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for walking with us. And thank you for making us so rich because your son has died for us. And there is nothing better, Lord, than just to think about the time where we will be with you for all eternity. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your love. And thank you for your riches. In Jesus' name, amen. So we begin to think about singing this invitation song. Can we help you in any way to give your life to the Lord, to see him as really the ultimate goal? This, this life does not satisfy. It doesn't give what you're looking for. Only Jesus can do that. We want to help you in that effort. So you respond to the invitation this morning where you are ready to give your life to Christ, turn away from sins, be a follower of him faithfully, serve him with all of your heart, be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins and and walk with him in that way. We want to help you do that. You can talk to me afterward or someone next to you, or you can come forward now while we stand and while we sing.